Welcome to the Lose Weight, Live Life podcast. If you're a female professional or entrepreneur who would do anything to lose weight, yet finds it impossible to stick to a diet, to eat less, or just what you think you should, this podcast is for you. I am your host, certified life and weight coach, Claire McKenzie. Listen in to learn how to stop overeating, lose weight for the last time, and create a relationship with food and yourself that you love all without diet deprivation and self-sabotage. Hi everyone, and a very warm welcome to episode number 45 of the Lose Weight, Live Life podcast. So today I am very excited and a little nervous to bring you my first interview for the Lose Weight, Live Life podcast. Today I'm talking to my husband, Jonathan, about diabetes, ahead of Diabetes Awareness Week in the UK. So why do I want to have a conversation about diabetes? Well, I want you to all take a moment to think about what you can do to reduce your risk of developing type 2 diabetes. I'm really frustrated and a little sad that so many millions of us are likely to develop type 2 diabetes. Whilst we've all heard of diabetes, I think that very few of us understand the grave complications and the impact it has on quality of life. Estimated diabetes prevalence for adults between the ages of 20 and 70 worldwide for 2015 was 415 million, and it's expected to affect 1 in 10 people by 2040. It's estimated globally that 1 in 2 adults with type 2 diabetes are undiagnosed, and obesity is the most potent risk factor for type 2 diabetes. It accounts for 80 to 85% of the overall risk of developing type 2 diabetes, and it underlies the global spread of the condition. Globally, diabetes causes one death every six seconds and attributes for 14.5% of all global mortality in the 20 to 79 age group. And what you might not know is that 47% of deaths from diabetes occur in those of us under 60 years of age. In type 2 diabetes, the average reduced life expectancy for someone diagnosed in their 50s is about 6 years. Whenever I look at diabetes facts, I am always amazed and surprised at the, the seriousness of it. Diabetes is the leading cause of blindness in the United States. I think it's the leading cause of death from kidney disease. It's also the leading cause of heart attack and stroke. So I just really think it is worth taking a moment to increase our awareness of diabetes, to take a moment to see what we can do to help us prevent it developing in our later years. Also, before we get started, I just want to explain the difference between type 1 and type 2 diabetes. So type 1 diabetes is an autoimmune disease caused when the body's own immune system damages the cells that secrete insulin. So the insulin is not made. So type 1 diabetes is caused by a lack of insulin. Type 1 diabetes is also sometimes called um, juvenile onset diabetes because it often appears in childhood or in your younger years. In contrast, type 2 diabetes is caused by the body producing too much insulin. What happens is that the cells in the body become insulin resistant and the body responds by producing more and more insulin, elevating insulin levels in the blood because the insulin cannot be used. So type 1 diabetes before treatment is often associated with weight loss, whereas type 2 diabetes is often associated with weight gain. Okay, let's get started. So welcome to the Lose Weight, Live Life podcast and thank you for talking to me today and helping me raise awareness and share insights into diabetes. 
So where should we start? Maybe you can start by telling us a little bit about when you were first diagnosed with type 1 diabetes. So I was six when I was diagnosed. I was playing in the school fields and just felt really unwell. I'd been very, very thirsty for about 10 days, but on this day playing in school, I just needed to lie down and paint lots of paint chest, not feeling very well. Parents eventually picked me up and took me to the doctors. Usual case, they obviously tested my sugars. And then in those days, I then went into hospital and I spent two weeks in hospital where they uh, obviously got me uh, on a insulin injection regime and then then started to talk to me about you know, the foods that I can eat and the foods that I cannot eat. So it was, you know, in those, those days quite traumatic, I guess, in one sense. Um, and obviously, you know, obviously being told you can't eat X, Y and Z and all that kind of stuff. You can't have a bottle of Coca-Cola Coca in those days, the sugar version. Mm -hmm. So what, what did they say? What How did that impact, I guess, your diet day to day or what? So there was an immediate regime put in place that said, OK, you need to have this kind of standard set meal. And that was based all around having so many carbs for different types of meals. And then in the, those days that there was a carbohydrate carbohydrate counting scheme put in place, which is not related to actually the amount of carbohydrate in the food stuff as we know it today from the packaging. Right. It was a completely different system. Yeah. But essentially it was, you know, so many carbohydrates for breakfast, mid-morning snack, for lunch, afternoon snack, tea, and then for snack before uh, or eight o'clock, nine o'clock in the evening snack. Yeah. But it was all about carbs, mm -hmm. as, it, as it were. So, for example, the education that they put me through was make, make sure you have this amount of potatoes or this amount of pasta or this amount of bread um, for with each meal. Um, and then the, the idea was trying, I guess, to um, you know, try and balance uh, and uh, the sugars, as it were, by putting me on that regime. Yes. Um, and, you know, in those days, it, that worked for a bit, as mm -hmm. it were. And I, I would say, you know, for a while, especially in the early years being type 1 diabetic, you know, you are, have a bit of a honeymoon period where your body's still creating a little bit of insulin. So that's good. But uh, looking back, it was quite a weird way in terms of thinking about food, especially when the, the carbohydrate value that was being assigned to the food I was eating was not actually the actual carbohydrate value of the food as yes. we know it today. Yeah. Okay. And then as you sort of went through your teenage years and then I guess, you know, sort of early 20s, how was it to manage your type 1 diabetes? So I think for most teenagers, it becomes a problem for many reasons. I think as you get older, your life becomes a bit more complex as you're when you're young and early years of schooling. Uh, there's a fixed structure in place, you know, mum and dad picking you up, giving you, you know, dinner and so forth. And as you get into your teenage years, you start going out and obviously there's alcohol creeps into that, as we all know, and, and, and everyone ex experienced with that. And obviously, you know, evenings and, and nights become longer. And then just managing the diabetes just comes, becomes 
so much harder than it was. Yeah. And then when you get into your kind of uh, late 20s, I guess, uh, 18, 19, 20, then your food patterns and food of eating food times just goes, changes from where you when you were younger. Um, so you, your life becomes more flexible, which is a good thing, but then the sugar control becomes a lot harder because the, the time in the injection, the time in the eating, and certainly the wider variety of food available becomes a, just a bit, a bit more of a juggle, as it were. And it's fair to say that the sugar control worsens. Mm -hmm. uh, well, in my case, it definitely worsened in my teenage years. It becomes a lot harder to control. And then obviously your HbA1c, which they you know measure twice a year in those days, and just starts to creep up, which is never a very good thing. Yeah. And in terms of the impact of you know, having those higher HbA1c levels, how has that impacted you in terms of you know complications caused by the diabetes? So it's a long-term process. So in the first few years where the control worsens, there's no obvious effect at that point. But this is a long-term condition, and each month that goes by where the HbA1c is worsening, you're just starting to build up problems. So in my case, I started to... My first example was I got something called gastroparesis, whereby the high sugars were starting to affect the, the nerve in the stomach, as I understand it, whereby di digestion wasn't working very well. And that was a very painful uh, pro uh, experience at the time, and quite scary as well. So obviously went to see the doctors, they, they explained what it is. I, at the time, looked up online about what to do and things like that but I my, that was my first example and whereby I started to then had to put a bit of a regime in to try and improve and correct that and that took about a year a year and a half to get under control in terms of eating food stuff so I was eating and some of the, the supplements I was taking to soothe that as yeah. it were. but then beyond that uh, what happened next was then uh, there was a, a degradation in the eyes and so i started to see obviously consultants around the eyes fast forward a few more years and eventually i had a bleed in the back of the eye and my left eye when i was <laughs> trying to start the lawnmower which was kind of quite a scary experience mm -hmm. i would say yeah so at the time uh, losing vision in the one eye it was very upsetting and very scary and again the high blood sugars has obviously caused uh, an issue in the back of the retina whereby the the retina had uh, tried to produce new vessels to increase the oxygen etc etc that uh, that new vessel is obviously bad and then weak and had bled so for a while i couldn't see out of one eye um which obviously was uh, distressing and then having to go through a a series of hospital procedures to stabilize the eye um, which in essence you know took I guess five six years yeah. uh, of work initially um, to try and stabilize that followed by a, a, a number and series of operations yeah. but uh, which I would not recommend anyone putting themselves through because yeah. it was not a pleasant experience and then the maintenance by the doctors in terms of additional laser treatments just a quite an onerous process to go through and um, trying to get the eye stabilized yeah 
Yeah. And so more recently, how has your management of your diabetes changed? Because, you know, obviously I've got, you know, ringside view in terms of what's been going on for you. And actually, you know, now your management of your diabetes in terms of your HbA1c levels, which are your blood glucose levels, are probably better now or have been better over the last year or two than, you know, in the sort of like 25 plus years that we've been together. So tell us a little bit about what's changed for you in recent years. So there has been a steady progress uh, in terms of improvement. And I think it was a combination of things that have really made the difference for me. So one of the things I really struggled in normal times, pre-COVID and all that sort of stuff, was at work, you know, I, as as most people, I would have a strict regime of having a, a sandwich and something else, carbohydrate at lunchtime. And, you know, and I was trying to then manage the insulin levels to match that. And it was just incredibly difficult. And I always had a spike after lunch in terms of the insulin, uh, the sugar levels would, would go up. And I was always fighting that and as I got older I would, you know I was targeting in terms of trying to improve and improve improve myself so that that was really difficult and you know going out for meals when it's <laughs> pizzas involved and again it took me a while to you know as they all will say online you know stay away from pizza as a, as a diabetic just because it's one of those foods that's so complicated to manage as a diabetic because of the double waves in terms of the it's the it's the carbohydrates and the fats and all that sort of stuff and um, so I, I think the changes that i started to make was just a un, un, understanding a bit more about everything so nowadays online there's, there's so much to read up about starting to make some small changes uh, in terms of the food i ate and i think the big moment was when i started to really reduce the actual carbohydrate intake so you know that strict regime that i've been broadly on for the last 30 years in terms of you know this this carbohydrate breakfast and lunch and, and dinner time just starting to change that and reduce that starting to remove pasta for my diet because you know I'm not a big pasta fan but it's a lot of carbohydrates starting to remove most breads from the diet as well because uh, the spike in sugars after that in controlling it was difficult it definitely increased in the pro or the protein and the vegetables has helped as well particularly around the breakfast time so you know uh, less carbohydrate more protein that's helped the other bit the, the other big one is in terms of the exercise i think like most people i was like trying to do a, a bit on the treadmill now and again but you know failing miserably um but the other one is then switching to more of a just light weights works somebody once said that you know as a diabetic you you need muscle um to give you that protection and i'm not a muscly chap by any stretch of the imagination but i've also found the benefits of just having some resistance work in my uh, life and, and starting to just maintain and increase and increase my muscle mass but I, I think the combination of reducing that focus on carbohydrates and trying to maintain or increase a bit of muscle mass has just started to make the difference in terms of helping the actual uh, the sugar numbers in terms of when i test myself always been a prolific tester as you know almost to the detriment of my life and, you know and going on to the you know the libra test system on your arm has been you know revolutionized my my management yeah 
So some of the newer technology has really helped as well. Yes. But also, you know, changing how you were eating from the advice initially given to you, which I guess had almost sort of, you know, was very difficult for you to do because you'd been told for so many years that you had yes. to be eating these carbohydrates, you know, not only with every meal, but also having carbohydrate snacks between meals. So to sort of go against that advice that you'd been given for decades. Yeah, absolutely. And the other weird thing, looking back now, was yeah. we talked about carbohydrates only in bread the pasta the potatoes yes flour based we didn't talk about the other carbohydrates in terms of the vegetables yeah. so you know parsnips the broccoli the those kind of vegetables yes and so for most of my life i thought things like parsnips and carrots and you know vegetables yes you know they were neutral yeah which i know is really weird to think about it <laughs> but uh, so I, it was like okay so yep you can eat as much as vegetables as, as you like yeah and because they don't you know they don't have this carbohydrate in counting value nowadays we all we know that all foods that fit into the carbohydrate category have a value in terms of when we consume it yes uh, and obviously can affect the sugar yeah okay brilliant and so i guess you know, one of the things that I'm doing is obviously working with people who are overweight and you have been listening to the podcast for a while. You know, that I do encourage you to look at your refined carbohydrate intake to balance your insulin levels. And I really believe that this will help you reduce the likelihood that, you know, you could become pre-diabetic or develop type 2 diabetes. So having, you know, been diabetic for so long, have you got any advice for anyone out there who may be concerned about becoming pre-diabetic or developing type 2 diabetes? So I think definitely look at what you're consuming in terms of the carbohydrates and all the carbohydrates that you're consuming. So, you know, we all know that the, the fast-acting refined carbohydrates, whether that's the chocolate bar or the, the, the chocolate cake or the chocolate biscuit, all the crisps, particularly the crisps, uh, in my case, which is my you know, Achilles heel, as it were, they don't don't serve you well. And removing those from the diet just will help immediately because you're you're always fighting trying to correct those. And then the bread for me, you know, particularly around the lunchtime, making making sure I stopped having that really helped in terms of balancing things and it, it's always a balance and every day is a challenge trying to get the the right amount of insulin going into your body and at the same time the, the right amount of food in the broadest sense going into your body and getting that balance getting that rid of those fast acting refined carbohydrates so, mm. as you call it it is one of the, the keys to trying to get a an easier balance and anything you can do to make that balance better so i always think about it as a, as a bath in terms of the taps running with the carbohydrates and sugars running at the bottom the you know the insulin and your metabolism the plug hole taking mm -hmm. it away and getting the balance so that the bath is not overflowing is just a, a real challenge but if you can just reduce that tap a little bit then you can get that balance a, a lot better but i wouldn't say it, it was the it is is easy but anything you can do to prove that by removing the, those refined carbs just makes life easier yeah all right brilliant well thank you for coming on to the podcast and talking to me this morning really appreciate More than you welcome. being here and uh, yeah it's been great to have you thanks very much no problem at all if you enjoyed listening to this podcast and are ready to live a more intentional life lose weight as a part of that journey and create a relationship with food and yourself that you love, then I would be honored to be your coach. There are two ways that you can work with me. 
you can join my monthly membership program, My One Life Academy, that gives you self-paced learning, supported by twice-weekly live calls, and a whole lot more. Or you can join the waiting list for my next six-month Lose Weight, Live Life group coaching mastermind intensive. Go to www.thebestyou.coach forward slash coaching to find out all the details.